Hey there, everybody. How's it going? Greeting to all listeners everywhere. Hope everyone is comfortable and relaxed because we are back again for episode three. Uh, today's episode will be about the Suns and the Lakers post-trade deadline. The uh, trade deadline happened last Thursday, so we will see how the teams are shaping up now, about a week later. So first, we're going to start with the Suns. I am more knowledgeable in the Suns. They have my favorite player in Chris Paul, and they have one of my favorite shooting guards in Devin Booker. I don't know too much on the Lakers. I don't follow them too much, so I will be looking to you listeners for insight and questions and suggestions on how the Lakers will turn out this season. But I will get right into it. Here we are. First, I'm going to recap the Suns and Kings game from Valentine's Day yesterday. They were able to grab the win without KD. That's a good sign, especially since they gave away two of their, I want to say, their core pieces on the team. So to not have KD on the floor and still be able to perform with what they have, that's that's promising. Um, I want to highlight the impressive performances from their core three and CP3, Booger at eight, and especially Chris Paul was having a 19 assists and only four turnovers. Not to take anything away from the Kings with De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis, who also had great nights themselves. But despite the poor shooting from the three that Phoenix had last night, they showed a lot of dominance on the inside. Aiden shooting an outstanding 76% from the field versus the season average of 59%. I saw that in some clips that the Suns were able to get a lot of drives. They also scored a lot on turnovers, which is something they've been pretty decent at. The season sitting around the middle of the block in the league standing. So that's pretty nice to see out of them. Again, there were big performances from the core three. So to expect them to do that every night, I wouldn't be so sure of. They also shot a pretty good field goal percentage, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, like in general. But how would it be different if KD was on the floor? That's the question everyone's looking for. What would be the changes when KD suits up, per se? So he's putting up about 30 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists. For the season, compared to the combined efforts of McCall and Cam Johnson, who put up 28, 11, and 4 collectively. So at face value, there isn't much of a change other than the rebounds, obviously, as they were both averaging 5.5 apiece and Katie's averaging 6 himself. But defensively, I can't, I can't really settle on believing they'll be a much worse team, considering in that Kings game that we're mentioning now, they did hold them to 10 points under their average, and the Kings are the leading leaders in team points per game by average. So to hold them to, you know, what they did, 10 points under their average, that's pretty good for the team that is currently ranked at ninth. And they were missing McCall right there, and they didn't have KD. So just that face value from that one game alone, that should show good signs for Phoenix fans. But um, that being said, I think it will be a little bit more time efficient to highlight what's to come of Phoenix's offense instead. Outside of the praise he's gotten from Coach Monty and CP3 regarding his passion and approach to the game and his positive yield in younger players, I personally will enjoy seeing how Heavily or not, Phoenix will highlight his mid-range talent and how they'll utilize him alongside another elite scorer in Devin Booker. I'm not expecting much of a clash there between the two stars, as we've seen KD capable of coexisting with other elite talent throughout his career. The team is currently fifth in three-point percentage, proving that they are capable of knocking down their perimeter shot, sitting at roughly 38% collectively. They are also third in assists and tenth in free throw percentage. Sadly, I have to say that they don't get to the line much as they're pretty much bottom of the barrel. I think it was 27th in the league, and that's not great. But, I mean, they 
do hit their free throw shots when they do get to the line. But KD should help that, considering he's 15th overall in the league in free throw attempts. Devin Booker sitting at 21st himself, top 25. So you got two players in the top 25 of free throw attempts per game. That shouldn't be bad. Especially we know that KD can draw foul with his, you know, length and veteran ability as a scorer, as an elite scorer in the league, one of the best we've ever seen. So as far as if the team will stick as a unit and be able to make a deep run this first year, I'm on the side that says they will. I've been seeing a lot of talk on Twitter when the move for KD first happened, and most were on the fence about the Suns' death outside of, you know, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, KD, and Aiton, but I personally would be more concerned with the four first-round picks that they had to give up. When a team trades for a superstar, especially one like Kevin Durant, of course there's going to be losses, and not necessarily losses, but in order to get, you have to give. So when KD went to the Warriors, obviously you were thinking about death. Then when Boston had their big four, you're thinking about death. Then in Miami with the big three, you're thinking about death. Then it's always going to be that. I'm not really concerned about that. That's something that's pretty obvious, not something we should be hung up on. If anything, be concerned about the sudden change to the team's future, considering they are taking a new approach as far as their roster goes, but they're in a right now, like a win-now situation. They need to win within the next three to four years, at least once or twice, for people to be able to say that that was a successful move for them. But at the same time, they did give away picks, four of them, to the Brooklyn Nets. It's crazy to me that people are overlooking that T.J. Warren was also acquired in this KD trade. People are acting like T.J. Warren is some type of bum. Like, we didn't see him go toe-to-toe. Well, I won't say he went toe-to-toe with Jimmy Butler, but he was pretty prominent in that bubble back in 2020 when COVID hit. And he hasn't been that 30-point-per-game you know, guy leading the Pacers that he was back then. But he's not garbage. He's not terrible. He can still produce, and if he gets more minutes in this new Phoenix rotation, who knows what he can do. It might even be a better fit for him. People forget that those type of things matter. Morale, chemistry, a game plan, teammates, shoot, even the scenery and the environment at the end affect how they play. Injuries over time, aging, it, that's all factors that we tend to not think about on a day-to-day basis. And alongside TJ Warren coming off the bench, they have also signed Terrence Ross who I believe was released from the Magic not too long ago. That's a great pickup. He is definitely a prominent shooter from beyond the arc, and I'm sure they will be able to count on him time and time again for good looks. They also made a move for Darius Baisley, which brings in some athleticism back into the lineup that they may have lost in Macau. So Phoenix is not doing bad when it comes to like how people think they are. Think about the bench they have. Cameron Payne, Terrence Ross, T.J. Warren, and I believe there's one more. Landry Shipman, that was the last guy I was thinking about. So when it comes to depth, let's not talk about Phoenix like they're necessarily lagging. Like their four stars cannot produce enough. All right. But moving forward, again, I think people should be more concerned with injuries. Considering KD has only played 39 games, CP3, 38 games, Booker, 32 games. For them to be great... We need them to play, and I can't put it any simpler than that. I think it's pretty much play this day. To be fair, though, a lot of this is just my speculation on it, and I have high hopes for what they can do once everyone is out on the floor. And that pretty much wraps up my take on the new and improved Sun Squad. And yes, I can't say new and improved. 
there's no if ands or both about it. I don't I haven't even had to see them play yet. I'm pretty sure that this Suns team will make it at least out of the first round. Like I don't tend to make playoff projections until after the first round, but I'm sure that they're gonna win their first matchup. And if they don't, I don't know. I'll make a bet on somebody with that. We'll see. But I would like to hear feedback from you all and hear what you think of the team's new look, whether or not you believe they'll be successful and so forth. And we'll be back in just a moment with part two of this segment covering the L.A. Lakers. Hey to all listeners everywhere, it's your host Jordan, and I'd like to give a quick thanks to everyone for tuning in and engaging with me. Don't forget that you can contact the Player Chatter Podcast outside of our streams via email at playerchatterpodcast at gmail.com for submitting topics you'd like to see covered or debated in a segment or other inquiries about the podcast. Now on to the Lakers. So far, we know that they are 1-1 one one since the deadline last Thursday, February 9th, that they set 14 games behind the first seed of Nuggets in the 13th seed with a record of 26-32. and 32. But the good news is that that's only two and a half games away from the 10th seed where they can find themselves having a spot in the play-in tournament. Just like the Suns, the Lakers are looking at what can be seen as a fresh start, per se, having made moves for Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, Fan favorite Rui Devon Reed, forgive me if I pronounced your name wrong, bro. Mo Bamba and D'Angelo D'Lo Russell. At first glance, we see that the Lakers now have a more balanced set of players, and they've also become a significantly younger roster. This came at the cost of, of course, Russell Westbrook, Pat Beverly, Thomas Bryant, a first-round pick, and a second-round pick. Well, I'm not a fan of losing Russ, as he's one of my favorite point guards of all time. Shout out Brody. I do believe the Lakers made the right decision in moving forward, respectively. Pat Beth, likewise. Now, before I continue on with the Lakers, I want to touch upon Russ, and I want to emphasize how great of a player he is. I don't want people who don't follow NBA basketball too heavily, and by that I mean the children who are growing up seeing these things, especially the way social media is now today. I don't want them to share that negatively painted outlook that the media has outcasted on Russell Westbrook. He is a great player, great hustler, and one of the best we've ever seen. And I felt like the league was about to do with him what they did with Carmelo Anthony a couple years back, where he was kind of iced out of the league for a season or two there. The good news is that Russ has heard from many teams, including the Bulls, Clippers, Miami, and Washington. So that's good news. Hopefully he can land the roster. But uh, moving forward, aside from the obvious hype and D'Angelo Russell's scoring ability and what his skill set means for the Lakers down the stretch, my eyes are particularly on Jared Vanderbilt. He has great length. You know, he can defend on all levels. I see him as a solid contributor coming forth as a finisher, a rebounder. You could trust him to make key plays on defensive end. I know I said defense a lot, but he's that solid of a defender in my book. He also doesn't turn the ball over a lot, if at all, which is great considering they had turnover problems with Russ. You know, LeBron carries the ball a lot. We need players on the team, the role players, that don't make too many mistakes with the ball. So that should be good. He 
is only averaging, what, half a turnover a game in about 20 minutes, I would not be complaining as a coach one bit. It's interesting to see how minutes will be distributed now, granted that these roster changes allow LeBron to not eat a 35-point game performance <laughs> to merely compete, you know. It seems like this man has to go out there and drop 40 just for them to be in a tight situation. It's ridiculous. So hopefully these additions, again, can balance it out so he can have less of a load and not to put so much strain on himself going forward. You want him to play as good as he can for as long as he can, which he has been. I'm not saying he hasn't, but it would be a lot easier if other people could perform as well. That's all I'm saying with that. But honestly, it's hard to give a real analysis of what will become of the Lakers. Granted, I don't keep up with them much outside of what my friends told me and the fact that there's only two games to go off of. And LeBron has not played in either of those games. I will say for Ant Davis, though, he has been snapping. He has been giving it his all. I think he came down with like a small like little foot injury, but I'm not too concerned on it. Despite relieving some of the alleged pressure with these last-minute moves, there is still quite a few things working against the Lakers. And I think it's important that we address these things that they still need to figure out during this second half of the season. They're not out the mud yet just because they made some moves at the trade deadline. That will not fix all of their problems. There was a lot of talk, you know, on Russell Westbrook being the main problem. Obviously, I see it differently. Some people may not. But time will tell. Their biggest enemy is time. Because although they're only a couple games back from the 10th seed, there are less than 30 games remaining in the regular season, and we have to account for time needed for them to get into the swing of things. I'm just not so sure they have enough games left to get to a level of play needed in order to seriously contend for the title this year. I'm not saying they can't be good next year or the year after that, but this year, with the Suns boosting up, the Warriors are still alive. They're not doing too hot, obviously, but they're still alive. You got a Philly and, well, I'm sorry, I said Philly. You have Milwaukee in the East, the Nuggets in the West. I'm just not sure that the Lakers can pull it out for a title right now. Just right now. We'll see what happens. But good news is the third game of this squad is underway now. I believe it started at 10 o'clock Eastern. And they're home against the New Orleans Pelicans. This is LeBron's first game with this new group, which is great. And AD is also shooting up tonight. So he is not considered hurt right now. Zion is still out on his hamstring injury, obviously. Hopefully tonight's game can give us some insight on what we can expect from the Lakers in the second half of this 2022-2023 NBA season. And honestly, you guys, that's all I have on the Lakers. I, I didn't really have much to say on them. I kind of wanted to touch up on the Suns more than anything else. But if you guys have anything you want to add, if you guys are Lakers fans, I know LeBron broke the record and he's the all-time leading scorer and stuff now. But outside of the big hype stories, I don't really know too much on the Lakers. Again, this was your host, Jordan Rawls. Happy to speak to you guys on these topics, but I'll see you guys again for the next episode. Peace. If you like what we discussed here on the pod and are wondering how you can engage, whether it's material you'd like to see covered or additional questions and inquiries about the Player Chatter Podcast itself, please feel free to reach out to us via email at playerchatterpodcast at gmail.com or check us out on Twitter at Player Chatter. Thank you, and I hope to see you all again next time.